Hello, welcome to Guides to the Unknown. I'm Kristen. I'm William. And we missed you, so we came back for you. More importantly, <laughs> you missed us. <laughs> right. Kristen I hope- and I met up out in the world, and I went, we have to go back. <laughs> we have to go back. Is it cool to reference Lost in 2018? I thought you were gearing toward a, we have to go back to the future. So, oh, okay. um, but... Actually, yes, it is cool to reference Lost in 2018. If I hadn't said anything, that would be like Schrodinger's reference. It would be to both Lost and Back to the Future and to neither. Yes. Um, All right. We have a new segment Mm -hmm. to get to tonight, which is just like awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome listeners. I don't know if we can think of a cool monster name for that. Yeah. Name pending for this segment. Yeah. However, uh, there is... A really talented listener out there yes. who uh, uh, has an Instagram page. It's mm-hmm. at Look at Her Brooch, mm-hmm. and it's, it's an, also an Etsy shop. Yes, the Etsy Etsy shop is called Hypnus and Outrage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Kristen and I were tagged in a post. Yep, because uh, this listener embroiders. And she was listening to Guide to the Unknown and heard us talking about the morbid youth who in uh, France, when they were still using the guillotine, would cut their hair short, making the like, you know, your head has been sliced off, so therefore your hair is short, a fashion choice. Yeah, totally sweet. I'd kind of forgotten about it until she posted this. Oh, so good. so cool. It's awesome. And they had victims balls, like... Like oh, parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, she's been embroidering things from the show. So the first one that we saw, the first one that she did, is a severed head with like short, yeah. choppy hair. Yep. Uh, for the uh, morbid youth. And um, red bead neck, a red beaded necklace to signify blood droplets. Yeah. Which, which is, is so cool. Genius. I was dying at these. Yeah, this, as you can tell by my very um, energetic posts about them. Oh, they're so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then there was. Was uh, embroidery of a banshee, but not just any banshee. Yeah. Specifically, the ones that you were talking about, where they show up and they scream. So we talked about ban- banshees as being sort of a warning system. They scream to let you know something's going to go wrong. Sometimes they they relish in their job. They're excited yeah. that something horrible is about to befall you. Right. So they show up screaming, but with this glint of celebration in their eyes. Yes. And uh, then we got into a whole thing about how they show up with noisemakers. Yeah. Woo, woo, woo. And those noisemaker things like, Yeah. So that uh, yielded this embroidery that says, oh man, my banshee hates me. <laughs> it's a banshee. Banshee saying, woohoo. Blowing yeah. into one of those like, yeah. noisemakers and spinning the clacker things. Uh, it's so good. And that one's my favorite one, I think. Today, as of yeah. this recording, a third of the black-eyed children. Yep. And it's a kid in a hoodie with little black beady eyes just going, hey, mister, what's up? Yeah. So I think <laughs> Will did that voice when we did that episode. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it is so good. It I is know. so awesome. So everybody. I can't tell you how happy it makes me. Thank you very much, Amy. Yeah. It, it like it immediately made me laugh. Yeah. And it made me so and happy. And they're just so cool, too. Like, selfishly happy because it made me happy that, like, something that we did inspired somebody and made me feel good. So I guess that's selfish, not selfish, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and then they're just so cool. Oh, I like so looking cool. at them. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much and well done. Yeah, seriously. Everybody go follow mm-hmm. at look at her brooch on Instagram. That's look underscore at underscore her underscore brooch. Yep. B-R-O-O-C-H. And 
check out Hipness and Outrage on Etsy, where you can buy yeah. and commission embroidery of your own. Yes, extremely cool. Yeah, and thank you again. Yeah. So good. Big, so damn big, good. Big, big thank you. Yeah, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. All right. And that is cool. the Man Our Listeners Are Awesome segment. <laughs> I'm fine with that being the name of the segment. All right. That works yeah, for that me. Works. It's right to the point. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, now on to us. Yes. Uh, who it's goes, all about us. Who goes first this time? Why don't you go first? I go first? Yeah. Okay. Kristen. William. I uh, don't even know how to set this up in a way where it can be like, what do you think you know? Because I barely knew anything. Yeah. So I'm just going to go well, ahead. I could know much more than you. Just because you barely knew anything doesn't mean that I'm not lousy with information about this subject. Okay. What have you Take heard your shot. of... What, tell me all your knowledge <laughs> of... Man-eating trees. Oh, boy. You're right. I don't know. Yeah, there's really nothing, is there? Man-eating trees? Not off the top of your head, anyway. No. 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 I know about... It has nothing to do with that. I just wonder if it comes up at all in your research, because it's, like, somewhat connected. Do you know about the corpse flower? Oh. Oh, man. It's this flower that only blooms every once in a long time. I really don't remember how long it is. It, It actually bloomed this year. Um, and it is this huge flower that's supposed to stink like a corpse. Really? It's like a massive flower. Yeah. And it smells deadly. Oh, that's awesome. And deathly. Weird. Yeah. So just, I guess it guess it like decomposing yeah. material. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. I'm going to say something so gross. Okay. All right. So I used to, uh, uh, I used to temp for a big pharmaceutical company here yep. in Johnson. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever. I've been loud. I used to temp yeah. at Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> so I was driving to work. That's so stupid that I just did that. No, I don't low. think it matters anyway. I don't think it matters no. either. So I would you know, drive the same way every single day. Yeah. And there was a stretch of road that was, I think it was like a bridge, and it had uh, like four lanes of traffic, two going each way with a median, uh-huh. like one of those like you know concrete walls dividing them. Really no shoulder. Yeah. And I think that's very important. Okay. Dead animals. All along yeah. that thing. And no one would pick them up. I know. It's so crazy. It's insane. Yeah. So I'd be driving, and really, it was like watching like documentary footage mm-hmm. of what happens to a decomposing body. Like every day, a little further along in the process, mm-hmm. I would see exposed bones. Oh, my God. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. And uh, you could smell them. Oh, my God. I've never... Because I've... I've had that experience of driving along a route that has a decomposing body on it for like a really long time. I just, I can't look. So I, whenever I, I see that shape in the distance, I like hyper look forward. I've never smelled it. I don't know what this is from, uh-huh. but I read slash heard slash saw in a movie something about how decomposing flesh smells weirdly sweet. Yes. Anytime I smell something like vaguely sweet, uh-huh. like on like a long stretch of road, that commute in particular, I smelled it all the time. So I feel like I knew for sure that it was decomposing flesh. Ugh. It like gives me a chill up my spine. Yeah. The notion that sweet is obviously like an objectively positive thing. I know. It makes it weirder and it creepier. It makes it so yeah. freaky and gross. And there was yeah. like a big fat goose that landed on the, the like <laughs> median divider thing. Uh-huh. And I, it was like, oh my God. It was like on a pedestal to be watched. <laughs> like it was, oh, it was horrible. That's terrible. It's horrible. Anyway, uh, enough corpses on the street. Let's get to more corpses in the branches of trees here. <laughs> enough corpses on the street. Let's get to corpses in the trees. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So the man eating tree. Okay. The first, as far as I can tell, like of the broad concept of man eating trees, things that like gripped the world's attention, yeah. was called. 
the Madagascar tree. Okay. In April 1874, New York World published an article written by Edmund Spencer. What he wrote eventually spread like wildfire. Mm. It seems That'll like kill it, all the trees. Oh my gosh. Something to think about. Things Burned make you go, trees. hmm. It seemed like uh, he had just sort of like piqued everyone's interest. He set off like an imaginative to like bomb in people's heads. Uh-huh. All of a sudden after this, there are tons of stories about man-eating trees, trees that fight you, blah, blah, blah. No one had any idea like where the stories came from. Uh, weirdly enough, until the 21st century when we started scanning old like newspapers, magazines, whatever that we yeah. could scan, only when we had stuff like Google Books where you can search through uh-huh. uh, like written materials from hundreds of years ago, uh-huh. did we know who to attribute this like phenomenon of the man eating tree story too. Huh? Yeah. So for like a hundred years, everyone was just like, yeah, people talk about man eating trees. And it's just part of folklore. Yeah. But no, now we can be like, well, there was a guy in April, 1874 who seems to have written the first story and then everything exploded from there. That's Edmund awesome. Spencer. How weird is that? Yeah. Anyway, Spencer claimed that a German explorer named Carl Leach mm-hmm. wrote about sacrifices performed by the Mkodo tribe in Madagascar. Here's what he described, and it's very, very bizarre. He described basically a giant pineapple. Okay. Like a big, thick-trunked thing with, like, fronds that should meet at the top but sort of lie down flat on the sides of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, dingy, dark brown, hard as iron. He claimed to see members of the Makotos form, uh, force a woman to climb the tree at Javelin Point Ooh. So pointing spears yeah. at her to force her to climb the tree and made her drink from the top of the plant. Huh, okay. When she drank, and now there's a quote. Yeah. There's a quote from the article. The slender, delicate palpi. Ew. I know. With the fury of starved serpents quivered a moment over her head. Then, as if instinct with demonic intelligence fastened upon her in sudden coils round and round her neck and arms. Then, while her awful screams and yet more awful laughter rose wildly to be instantly strangled down again in a gurgling moan. The tendrils, one after another, like great green serpents, with brutal energy and infernal rapidity, rose, retracted themselves, and wrapped her about in fold after fold, ever tightening with cruel swiftness and savage tenacity of anacondas fastening upon their prey. Oh, my God. The tree had, like, fluid. Uh-huh. Like, as it was cutting into her, almost this, like, you know, sap or something yeah. started to come out of its tendrils. Yeah. Uh, and dripped down the trunk, mixing with the, quote, blood and oozing viscera of the victim. Oh, God, oozing viscera. I know. The Makotos wow. rushed forward to drink this mixture of blood and tree fluid. Real quick, I, I forgot for a second. Is this written by Edmund Snowden? I know it's not who it is, but Edmund Edward whatever. Snowden leaked this story right. originally. In a, not unlike the viscera leaking from our victim. Yes. Uh, but no, is this written by the guy you're talking about, Edmund Spencer? Written by Edmund Spencer, claiming... Is he saying that a German explorer named Carl Leach? Okay, thank you, this. thank you. Okay, sorry. So it's like yeah. it's weirdly removed. It's as if I was like, oh, I've got, I forgot to tell you a story about about a real Bert thing that happened. Hamstrom and yeah. what he saw, <laughs> and and like here's what Bert said. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little it's a little strange. Yeah. Whatever. So anyway, this obviously, as I said, like 
blew up. Right. All of a sudden, you've got explorers across the globe traveling to Madagascar to find this tree. How did you hear about this? I have a weird fascination with trees. I do too. <laughs> trees, I think, are like really like sort of like interesting and like I've thought of a lot of like you know, weird stories and stuff that involve yeah. trees. Yeah. So anyway, I was, I was thinking about trees. I was talking a lot to Ryan about how I really love wind blowing through trees yeah. this weekend, but talking about it too much. And it's a strange thing <laughs> to like Ryan's reading a book. He's like, yeah, I know, dear. Kind uh-huh. of, kind of. I know you like trees. <laughs> kind of. Maybe it's because we grew up, you know, in the woods. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know what? I do Around think that that's so many probably trees. a big part of it. Chris and I yeah. grew up in the middle of nowhere in mm-hmm. Connecticut, surrounded by uh, trees, acres and acres of forest going up and down trails in the middle mm-hmm. of the woods. Yeah. Like very far away from like, like people. Yeah. It took like, t- not, not like, I don't want to paint a picture. Like we were the only house. For no, miles, no, 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 like, no. It's like a nice. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. yeah. Michael Ian Black lives there now. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Very cool. He's I went neighbor. Yes, I went back there uh, like a few months ago, and yeah, it takes like probably twenty minutes to get from like about where we live to like the grocery store. Yeah, and it's like anything. Yeah, yeah. it's just like it's yeah. like windy, dark roads of tall, tall trees. It's extremely sweet. It rules. It's beautiful, but um, but it yeah, does make me wonder if that's part of my like fascination. I with think wilderness. so. Yeah, because even like in New Jersey, like I've mm-hmm. had friends that lived sort of like around farmland and stuff, and I just. Like even though it's a long drive to get there, I always loved driving through like nothingness and then forests and yeah. fields. Like I love that sort of like remote yeah, me vibe. Too. So anyway, here are some of the crazy exploration, mm-hmm. expedition, blah, blah, blahs okay. that happened. A governor from Michigan. Okay. Chase Salmon Osborne. What a name. Oh, he was chasing more than salmon. I'll tell you that much right now. What a name. Chasing trees. Good for him. Wrote a book. Called Madagascar, land of the man-eating tree. Wow! So that's something dude from that, Michigan. That's something a governor wrote. <laughs> Madagascar, land of the man-eating tree. Quote from the book: No missionary told me that he had seen the devil tree. Great name. Uh, that is awesome. I do not know whether this tigerish tree really exists or whether the blood-curdling stories about it are pure myth. So let me write a book about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's really like the thesis statement. It is enough for my purpose of its story to focus your interest upon one of the least known spots of the world. So he wrote a whole book to basically be like, nobody knows what's in Madagascar. Yeah. Was he just trying to lend a little shine to Madagascar? It was clickbait. Madagascar, land of the man eating tree. And you open it and he's like, I never, I don't know if it's real and I don't know anybody who ever saw it, but like now you know what Madagascar is. That's good. So weird. Yeah. Uh, There was a Captain V. De La Mate. Mm. Who led an expedition to the sacrifice tree. Okay. Awesome name as well. Yeah. It eats, this is a quote from him. It eats human beings, but since the natives worship it, they are reluctant to reveal its location. (laughs) It is unclear whether or not this expedition ever even left, but I do have this news clipping. Uh, If you're watching the video version, you can see it. British scientists to seek tree reported to devour human beings. That's Awesome. This was in a newspaper. That's crazy. The headline, British scientists to seek tree reported to devour human beings. Reported as news. Just saying, <laughs> the past was awesome. Oh, in some totally. regards, like before yeah. we like knew that stuff was outlandish and stupid. Yeah, you would put that in the newspaper? Yeah. A paper of repute? Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, in the 1955 book, Salamanders and Other Wonders. Oh, my God. 
God. Science author. They so there's within this book there's talk about the Madagascar man-eating tree, and yet it's titled Salamanders and Other Wonders. Salamanders. The salamanders are at the top of a heap. I love because that really is like Humpty Dumpty and other stories. Yeah. Salamanders and other wonders. <laughs> Like if we if podcasting existed in like the forties, yeah, and so did we. <laughs> we'd be doing show. We'd be doing guide to the unknown, and it'd be like the salamander. Is it real? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out if salamanders are true. Is that the context of what they're talking about salamanders under? Like whether that's a real creature? I hope to never know. <laughs> I refuse to research that book. I prefer to imagine that in 1955, uh, the jury was out on salamanders. Oh, wow. Science author Willie Lee. Determined that the Makoto tribe, Carl Leach, and the Madagascar man-eating tree were all fabrications. Oh, boy. Quote, the facts are pretty clear by now. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Verdict's in. Trees don't eat people. (laughs) Of course the man-eating tree does not exist. There is no such tribe. Man-eating tree and the Makoto. That's a Um, (laughs) no-no. Were you planning that? (laughs) I was not. I swear. Uh, it's good and yeah so like that mystery sort of like endured that yeah. people would talk about this without knowing why right for i guess you know what would that be something like 80 years that's awesome and you know presumably longer until yeah. google books came out and people could research and be like uh no Eddie spencer wrote that yeah <laughs> you know, how weird is that i know him he's just a tool yeah yeah so we go from the 18 sure he's a great guy we, no he was a total tool yeah <laughs> the the what is it called? Like the estate of Edmund Spencer is going to come out yeah, now. Yeah, because we called him a herb. Yeah, a herb. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to now jump from the Madagascar man-eating tree to a report from October 1891, about 20 years later, Okay. about the vampire vine. Ooh, I'm listening. Yeah. October 1891, London newspapers reported that a British naturalist, Mr. Dunstan. Love a <laughs> That is the, Love a naturalist. That is the only way he's referred to. Really? That's this really entire funny. thing. Mr. Dunstan. Were naturalists back then nudists? I don't know. I probably Because isn't assume, there a naturalist nudist overlap? I'm assuming. I'm not just talking dingle on dingle probably. during a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I think that nudists are sometimes called naturalists. They uh they they use a napkin that they put overlap <laughs> when they're eating soup. <laughs> Burn anything. <laughs> Follow that joke. <laughs> There's a little overlap. I need an overlap. We're having soup. Don't worry, it's gazpacho. But still, I don't want to make a mess. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> London newspaper reported that a British naturalist, Mr. Dunstan, <laughs> Mr. Dunstan. <laughs> The the headline was uh, Dunstan checks in <laughs> about the, va- the vampire vine. Again, really quickly, very weirdly, for some reason, Dunstan checks in came up the other night with Ryan. Really? Yes, we were in bed. Well, the details. Well, it kind of matters. We were in bed, and for some reason, Dunstan checks in came up, and Ryan didn't know what it was. And I said, "It's a, a monkey checks into a fancy hotel," and I didn't think anything else about it. And Ryan was like, "That's the plot of the movie. A monkey checks into a fancy hotel." Yeah. What, what and do you so mean? I asked, "The reason being in bed matters." Although you guys don't know where my echo is. Anyway, I said, "Alexa, what's the plot of Dunstan checks in?" And um, there's a little more to it than that. I can't remember what it was. It's just that, like, I think it's like 
I don't know. It's like a, it's just like a monkey babysit a kid in a fancy hotel or something. I don't know. I don't but know. Jason Alexander is in it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, Seinfeld was probably Anton on Faye Dunaway. That, right? I think. Yeah. Dunaway. Yeah. That's no, it was true. really weird. Uh, so surprise! Anyway. Dunstan checks in has come up twice in the last three days for me or whatever. That is very strange. So Mr. Dunstan was trying to check this out. Right. The vampire vine in Nicaragua. According to my notes, he was slopping around in the swamp. <laughs> what i wrote well i certainly hope he wasn't a nudist then he's gonna run into a spot of trouble <laughs> i should have brought my overlap. i would say he's gonna need quite the overlap <laughs> he heard a dog crying out in the distance the dog was now we're in the quote zone okay enveloped in a perfect network of what seemed to be a fine rope-like tissue of roots and fibers oh no drawing his knife mr dunstan attempted to cut the poor beast free but it was with the very greatest difficulty that he managed to sever the fleshy muscular fibers of the plant ew when the dog was extricated from the coils of the plant mr dunstan saw to his horror and amazement that the dog's body was bloodstained while the skin appeared to have been actually sucked or puckered in spots. Oh, my God. The animal staggered. Oh, my God. As if from exhaustion. Presumably the dog was fine. Uh-huh. I don't Sounds know, like it. Saying, like, and then the dog died. Yeah. Uh, no, Mr. Sounds Dunstan's fine. hand was similarly red and blistered as the vampire vine fought against him as he tried to free the doggy. Oh, he should have so, done Lumos. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> devil snare, devil snare. Uh, hides from sun. And doesn't like fun. Yeah. Lumos. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I can't remember either. I don't remember. Anyway, so uh, yeah, he fought this vine to save this doggy, the vampire vine of Nicaragua. Oh my God. So that's. That's Nero. terrifying. I don't like the idea of the vine being like muscular, fleshy, or bloody. Yeah, fleshy as applied to a plant, I don't enjoy. No, me neither. Um, and then this brings me to perhaps my favorite man eating tree. Okay. All loosely termed, by the way. Some sure. of them are not trees. This yeah. one, however, is Yataveo. Ooh. Uh, this was originally, I think, written about in the book Sea and Land by J.W. Buell, named after the hissing sound it makes. Oh, my God. <laughs> which sounds like the Spanish phrase, ya te veo, which means I see you. Oh, my God. That's awesome. How awesome is that? I love That's that. so cool. I see you. Has poisonous oh. spines that resemble many huge serpents in an angry discussion, occasionally darting from side to side as if striking at an imaginary foe. And where is this information coming from? Uh, this is from the book Sea and Land by J.W. Buell. From like when-ish, do you know? 1887. Cool. So this would be pre-Vampire Vine, but yeah. still post-Madagascar yeah. Vineting Tree. Uh, some claim it even has an eye to locate its prey with. Oh my God, where's the eye? Does it know? I have no idea. Does yeah. it know? Or I, well, I meant the, you know. I meant the. Does it know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so like in depictions of it in artwork, like the limbs of the tree are like snaking out. Yeah, like yeah. Like all, all crazy. They, they look less like branches and more like tendrils. Very something. octopusy, like hearkening back to our previous episode. Yeah, you're right. And like, like a lot, yeah. And same with um, the previous one, the creepy fleshy one. Like it's... Yeah. They're kind of octopus-esque, which kind of goes back to us talking about how that imagery is used in a lot of scary things. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But yeah, there's like this one particular uh, piece of artwork that shows like a person caught up in the you know branches, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, being, very cool. You know, devoured, basically. Uh, the branches grow downward upon the ground. So gracefully are they distributed that the trunk resembles an easy couch 
<laughs> An easy cap. With green drapery around it. Oh, the unfortunate nice. traveler, ignorant of the monster, uh, monstrous creation which lies in his way, and curious to examine the strange plant or to rest himself upon its inviting stalk. Oh, no way. Approaches without a suspicion of his certain doom. The moment his feet are set within the circle of the horrid spines, they rise up like gigantic serpents and entwine themselves about him until he is drawn upon the stump when they speedily drive their daggers into his body and thus complete the massacre. The body is crushed until every drop of blood is squeezed out of it and becomes absorbed by the gore-loving plant. Yeesh, that sounds cool, oh, the gore-loving plant. Then the dry carcass is thrown out, and the horrid trap set again. Oh, it's but a husk. It is but a husk. I hope they're throwing that carcass really far, because I feel like that kind of negates the trap then. If somebody's like, oh my god, there's like a dead body here, I better keep it moving. There's a lush nature couch, (laughs) and beside it is a... Sucked dry, yeah. <laughs> weary traveler. I guess those like octopusy-ish tendrils could like really fling it far to maybe. Yeah, yeah. I do love the idea though that like uh, the original one, the Madagascar uh-huh, tree, yep. has these like palm fronds. It's like a big fat pine. Yes, that yeah. You have to climb. Whatever. Right, right. Then the the vampire vine is just like a tangle of almost like brambles mm-hmm. or something. This one is so much more deep. It's like a trap spider yes, or something. Yes. The fact that it just like lies flat. Right. Like instead of growing straight up like a tree, it grows to a little trunk and then fluff, flops flat on the ground just waiting for you to step in it. That's crazy. And once you step in, it starts yeah. to tangle you up. Absolutely terrifying. That's awesome. So uh, those are the three most famous man-eating tree you know, things that people believed in real life anyway. So now we're going to jump very briefly to some uh, light, frothy pop culture. Oh, beautiful. Obviously, there is Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors, which is a sort of Venus flytrap thing that Rick Moranis loves. Yep. Is in love with. Yeah. I've never seen it. I haven't either. Uh, I'm sure I would enjoy it. Same. I tried out for Little Shop of Horrors in college, and I did not get the part. Ooh, um, so I don't think you would enjoy it then, because... I was trying out to be the voice of Audrey too, and I was putting on a nice deep voice and singing, and it was going well. And I, I was very proud of myself. And then somebody slid through the door like Kramer and was like, "I hear you're holding auditions. I would like to try out." And I could just tell that all the energy had changed. I was like, "Ah, oh, man, they're excited. He's here. <laughs> this guy's getting it." Yeah. Um, then there is, of course, the Whomping Willow. Of course. From Harry Potter. Not mm-hmm. exactly a man-eating tree. Yep. But it definitely made me think, especially- It messes with men. It does people. mess with men. Yeah. Especially made me think of Yata Veo, mm-hmm. the fact that yes. its arms are just kind of moving around all crazy. Yeah. I started trying to figure out if the Whomping Willow is based on anything from real life. Uh-huh. It seems like it is just like totally- Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, it's not close enough to any of those things, at least, for me to think that it's inspired by them. Yeah, true. There was a thing about um, Edmund Spencer, mm-hmm. who apparently talked about why he wrote what he wrote. He apparently- wrote other like embellished other articles to make them believed uh-huh. and said that uh, he knew the proper way to captivate people was to take something that's perfectly ordinary and stretch it to the the point of insanity so that like take the ordinary and make it extraordinary one might say <laughs> you might say that I perhaps have said that <laughs> uh, but so he basically just took the Venus flytrap and tried to make it like some big crazy thing knowing that people would be like well we know that there are Venus flytraps that he flies it right so logically yeah some sense that there would be a people eater right. thing as well huh that's interesting that make, that does make sense as far as a way to rustle up a scary thing yeah I, I love the logic behind yeah. it at least 
Devil's Snare, also from Harry Potter. Yep. Uh, weirdly enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like two weird sort of like yeah. people destroying plants. Yeah. In Harry Potter, it's this sort of magical thing that shrinks away from the sun. It'll, uh, you know, if you struggle away from it, it'll, it'll grab you snare tighter. you more. It's like a plant version of quicksand. Yeah, exactly. And so it's cool that you have to like not struggle. Yeah. So it'll leave you alone. Right. Very, very strange. Right. But in doing my research about Devil's Snare, I found out that Devil's Snare is a real plant. Oh. In real life. Oh. It is known in the United States as Jimson weed. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. What? What's up? It's more rarely called Jamestown weed. Okay. It got its name from Jamestown, Virginia, where British soldiers consumed it while attempting to suppress the Bacon's Rebellion. Of course. They spent 11 days in altered mental states. And then I read a bunch of stuff about how these British soldiers who were supposed to be suppressing this rebellion were like, <laughs> one guy's sitting in the corner naked just sounds- try- trying to see how fast he can blink. Like it was like <laughs> a mess. It sounds like they were trying to eat it medicinally to prevent Bacon's rebellion. And that's like a stomach thing or an illness. Like <laughs> chewing this bitter root helps stimulate the stomach acids to heal us. Nah, bro, but then they end up like had, tripping. Yeah. You just had too much snossage. Yeah. You need more roughage, baby. <laughs> Suppress that Bacon's Rebellion. Eat some Jimson weed. <laughs> of course, there are evil trees in the Evil Dead. Of course. Enough said. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, I'm going to go with, let's call let's talk about the piranha plant okay. from Super Mario Bros. Okay. Uh, which are obviously, they, some of them breathe fire. A yep. lot of them try to chomp on you. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping that this had some basis in something crazy, like them living in pipes or whatever. Oh, yeah. But it really just seems to be about, like, what if Venus flytraps were big and they ate you? Right. Although the official Nintendo Works. line about Venus flytraps isn't that they're carnivorous and that they, they, they eat people. Uh-huh. They're hungry. For Mario. For Mario specifically. That's what they said. Are they not interested in Luigi? I'm sure they're Luigi plenty would interested just do in fine? Luigi. I would hope yeah. that somebody would show some interest in poor, poor I know. Luigi. Poor Luigi. Always second fiddle. Even to a Venus flytrap. It's true. Yeah. Uh, staying in the video game world, we've got the Deku tree from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Of course. That looks cool. It is so cool. It is the first dungeon of the game. It's this giant, old, wise tree uh-huh. that goes like... He's been enchanted by an evil wizard mm. and poisoned. There are like a bunch of parasites in him. So he's like, he's supposed to be like a good guy, guardian of the woods. And he uh-huh. goes like, something's wrong with me. Oh, yeah, no. go kill the parasites. And you crawl into his mouth and try to clear out the evil inside. Ew, and cool. Yeah, it is very cool. It, it's like one of the most memorable things that's ever happened in a video game ever, at least to me. Sweet. It, happened when, it came out when I was like really young. Yeah. But I love that. And it was a reference to the original Legend of Zelda game where Dungeon 1 was a creepy old tree with eyes yeah. that would go into its mouth, which I never still, got there. still love the image. You never got there? No, I'm terrible at Zelda. We had Zelda, and I would play it, and I'd always just get to the same part. I don't even remember what it was, but I don't think I oh, really got there. It was the best. It was so fun and difficult. For some, Yeah, it's really hard. For some reason, like all the weapons and all the decisions you have to make really trip me up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, all you can really do in that game, nobody says a word to you. Yeah. You just, like, the screen loads up, and you can go one of four directions. You just start wandering. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff's trying to kill you and whatever. But I yeah. loved the image of like you'd find this clearing and you know it's you know that sounds really sweet graphics, eight bit graphics, but I loved finding this tree with eyes that looked like it died a long time ago. Yeah. It's like dried out old tree trunk that you can crawl inside and you know, find yeah. a bunch of monsters and an adventure or whatever. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. But to the most horrific one for me personally, I was terrified of them as a child. Okay. And it's the last one I've got for you. Okay. Those trees from the oh. 
They they were so freaky. They were disgusting. Yes, yes. I I'm hated with you. Them. Me too. I don't like their elbows. I don't like any of it. In the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is walking around. She sees a bunch of delicious apples that she thinks she can eat. Mm-hmm. She reaches up to grab one. She hears like a voice go, "Oh!" And then these trees start yelling at her. Yeah, and being like. How would you feel if somebody came up to you and picked stuff off of your head? They're so mean. They're very aggressive. <laughs> yeah. They're horrific. Oh, so, so scary. I don't like their mouths either. I found them terrifying in the movie. Yeah. Obviously, I think you know everybody's required to see this movie as a child. Yep. Uh, there were certain laws in place that said you have to show Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz to somebody who's like four years old. Right. Based on when you were born, the laws dictate this. They might get a little laxer as time sure. goes on. Just like in the year 1998 or whatever, when every family was required by law to own that double VHS set of Titanic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like every household had that <laughs> double thick VHS set of Titanic. That wrecked me. You were not allowed to not have that on display permanently <sighs> yeah. in your house in 1998. Absolutely. So anyway, these trees, I I thought they were disgusting and scary. Yeah. Here's the thing. Wizard of Oz, the original book, where they appear and where they are just called Fighting Trees, Uh was published in the year 1900. So post-Madagascar man-eating tree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Their purpose is to keep people from entering the enchanted forest behind them. Okay. Aren't they the forest? Yeah, they are enchanted. That's weird. Yeah, what are they protecting really now that I think about it? They just go further and they find the Tin Man and then they, I don't know. I thought. I guess I think they, they did, oh, I think they didn't want them eating their apples. I didn't think they were it. protecting anything. Very weird. Well, yeah. according to the book, I guess maybe yeah. that's what they're supposed to do. Huh. In the movie, they're just supposed to terrify uh, yeah. girls and boys. Well, mission accomplished. So anyway, Kristen, that is, to the best of my knowledge, <laughs> the story of the man-eating tree. That's awesome. It's really good. Good Thank look. you. Yeah. Good look straight down to camera. I like to shoot a little uh, yeah. a little scary look down camera one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tell you a ghost story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mama loves a ghost story. Oh, tell it. Okay. So this is about the black monk of Pont- Pontefract, huh. which is hard to say. Have you ever heard of that before? Pontefract is a... Maybe I've heard of it on the show. Maybe I've, th- I've probably heard of it about It's it a pretty several. famous... Thing. I didn't know really anything about it. I'd heard the name before, but I knew pretty much nothing else. So Pontefract rings a big bad bell. It's in um, England. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a very, very famous haunting there. And what's kind of interesting about it is that there are going to be things that sound in common to, in particular, the Enfield haunting, which is covered in The Conjuring 2. Okay. That also takes place in England. This happened 10 years before that. Um, and Enfield and Amityville take place around the same time. And this has shades of those, but earlier, basically, cool. which is just kind of interesting. I feel like it's less famous, um, maybe here, at least in America. It does seem like a really big deal. Um, but yeah, it seems like the pioneer of poltergeist, <laughs> <laughs> poltergeist, poltergeist, like family, uh, stories. Hey, I'm being haunted by a poltergeist over here. Can someone help me? Wait, that just kind of sounds like a normal voice. <laughs> Won't somebody help me? <laughs> it's not as good. 
<laughs> please, oh, please. <laughs> so it's known as the most violent haunting in all of Europe. And I wrote here, one hell of a poltergeist. One hell of a poltergeist. <laughs> so um, it was a family named the Pritchards, and they lived at Thirst uh, Thirst 30 East Drive. Okay. Um, and so this is known as 30 East Drive a lot. People just refer to it as that. Um, and so the parents were Joe and Jean, and the kids were Philip and Diane. So they moved into this house, and not lang- long after that, <laughs> it's going to my mouth. Not long after that, um, there was a bank holiday. So they decide. So the family decided to go on a little vacation. But for some reason, Philip wanted to stay home. Um, he was like a teen, preteen. Who knows? He could have been surly. Who knows what what's going on? Surly tweens, am I right? Yeah, right. So um, he decided to stay home, and they had his grandma stay with him. And I wonder if that thwarted some plans. I bet it because did. what if Philip was staying home because he was going to throw a party or something, and they made Grandma Sarah stay with them. Philip was like, I think yeah. I'll stay home. All right, I'm big enough. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, of course. We'll just have your grand yeah. hang back as well. <laughs> You're hanging with me. <laughs> You and me against the world. That's right. So it was in the summer, and um, (laughs) Grandma Sarah was feeling cold spots. There were areas of the house that were just super cold and didn't make any sense because it was summertime and it was really hot and humid. So that was number one. She just noticed it. It was probably like in hindsight she said something about it, basically. I don't think that she was saying to Philip, like, oh, I'm cold, like right here. Or maybe. Who knows? (laughs) That's how they hang out. He, like, wakes up in the morning. She's like, all right, come on downstairs. And then she takes, like, one step to the left. Warm. One another step, it's cold here. Yeah, another step, it's still He's like, cold oh, here. I'm so glad I stayed home from Phillip, vacation. Philip, are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> I'm warm right here, <laughs> inch by inch. Philip's really wishing that he was on that beach. Uh. Yeah. Um, so a very very strange thing happened. There was chalk like dust falling through the air, but not from the ceiling or anything like below your height. So midair, this dust is kind of appearing and falling. Cool. And they were like, what is this? At first, they obviously thought it was weird house stuff. You know, they, they were pretty new to the house, but they noticed it was not coming from the ceiling, like in movies or cartoons where you think of somebody walking hard on the ceiling and then like dust is falling below. It was not that. And they were just like, what is going on? This is so weird. They couldn't figure it out. It was starting to cover things. It was like getting messy. So they called Philip's aunt who lived nearby. She was kind of like in the same neighborhood to come over and she was stumped. Yeah. Now Philip's got his whole family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really backfired on Philip. <laughs> Big time. And they can't figure it out. They're just like, where is this coming from? What is this? Yeah. And so they're finally like, all right, I don't know what this is, but let's start cleaning it up. So his aunt went into the kitchen to get some stuff to clean up, some rags and stuff, and there was this big pool of water on the floor. And she called Philip in, and she's like, what's the deal with this? And he was like, I don't know. And there was, like, no pipe right above it, no source of anything. They couldn't figure it out. And then other pools of water start forming. And they're just like, what is going on here? This is so weird. And because, I mean, so this is 1960s, I should say, or 1960s, 1970s, one of those, sorry. Okay. Um, so maybe it was, maybe it's the neighborhood, maybe it's an English thing, maybe it's just, maybe it's just a quaint time to make it up in my head, but it seems like they were going to get neighbors, they're calling in all this help, basically, because maybe, I picture it being like a really nice neighborhood where everybody's kind of like doing Helping a pop out. and it helps each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. So, um, here's some eggs. Do you have a ghost? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wrote neighbors came round and, um, <laughs> they couldn't figure anything out. So they called somebody from basically like a water company, like somebody who would know a plumber or water company kind of thing or something. And they couldn't figure it out either. 
Um, there's just like no reason. If there are no pipes, I'm of no use. <laughs> I can't. It's all you. I know how to do. Is there a toilet nearby? I don't <laughs> think I'm out of my depth, boss. Even though these pools are very shallow. Oh, this is my first day, but I thought pipes would be involved, okay? <laughs> so they're just like totally stumped about everything, basically. So they're yeah. they're just like condensation? I don't know. I have no idea what this is. Yeah. And try to go on with their lives. But then later that day, Philip goes into the kitchen and there is this is very British. Tea and sugar all over the counters, which they called worktops. Worktops? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, but like all over the counters, just tea and sugar everywhere. Here in the colonies, uh, we think of a worktop as what you put on to go to the office, but over there it's... <laughs> That's right. What I'm wearing right now is a worktop. Where's my worktop? Yeah. You may know them as blouses. We know them as worktops. <laughs> I love to create alternate like U.S. Worktop overlap. We're working with some good clothing today. Should have worn your overlap. Yeah. Oh, it just stings. burns. <laughs> Tried to tell you. If you're going to be a naturalist, you're going to want to overlap. See, people come over to our colony and they think that being a naturalist is all nudity all the time. But the seasoned <laughs> veterans of us know you need an overlap every <laughs> once in a while. Look, nobody can be naked all the time. <laughs> so tea so tea is like all over the counters and everything and um he calls in grandma sarah and there's also a tea dispenser it said which i imagine i wonder if god i again i feel like i'm always perpetuating or making up british stereotypes or other places i'm sorry i don't mean anything bad by it but this is what i think it is i i couldn't find any can't wait i just can't, well not it's nothing that crazy but everything i looked at said tea dispenser like nothing said like tea kettle it was always tea dispenser so what i wonder is if in households they sometimes have like a carafe like a big thing of tea for everybody to just be getting tea during the day because british people love tea so much i have an alternate theory okay i think that it's probably just a tin that holds tea uh-uh. No, no, because there's a button that keeps being um, turned on and off, and it's making tea come out. <laughs> all right, maybe they have a vending machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's like that. So it, there's tea now all over the workshops as well. Like it's just pouring tea off and on. Okay. And so this has been a crazy day. They're like, "What is going on?" And then just like confusion, desperation, Grandma Sarah yells, "Stop it!" And it stops. But there's a crash from the hallway. So they go out to the hallway and the lights are flicking on and off. They're not doing it. And they look and there had been a big potted plant at the base of the stairs. The plant itself is like halfway up the stairs and the pot is all the way at the top of the stairs now. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So crazy stuff is going on. And then now back in the kitchen, as I read this and understood it, it seemed like this was all happening rapid fire. So they're in the kitchen. Bang, go out there. They're in the hall. Bang, go back to the kitchen. Um, the cupboard in the kitchen is banging around on its own now. Like, just like something's trying to get out of it or something like that. So Sarah runs to get that same neighbor again who she had come over with, um, well, I guess one of them, with the dust falling. And, um, oh, and they're also just banging noises going on, basically, like without source as well. There's just noise and chaos, basically. So brings the neighbor over and they're like, what's going on? And Sarah is like, "Were you? are you guys making banging noises? And they're like, no, we thought you're making banging noises. And she's like, well, we are kind of, but like, it's not us. Yeah, not, yeah. Right. 
So things start to die down. It just kind of starts to stop and the neighbor goes home and Philip and Sarah are like, oh, what is going on? But like, okay, they're still, they're there for a few hours still. They're just kind of like, don't know what to do, I guess. And everything's okay until bedtime where a chest of drawers started. Nothing got crazy again, but there was a chest of drawers that started swaying in Philip's room. So they were like, all right, that's enough. We can't go to sleep in this environment. It's one thing to be like here and grabbing neighbors to see what's up. Not like I'm not chance. going to bed. Yeah. So they got out and stayed at a neighbor's house. And then the next day, nothing happened and nothing happened for a while. Like the family came home and there hadn't been any activity and they kind of chalked it up to like, could there be some explanation for this sort of thing? Even though like, what could the explanation yeah. be? But you try you to rationalize, yourself, right? Yeah. So they're back home from vacation. Now the whole family... It's fine for a while, but then things start going nuts again. So um, lots of things like different ra random bangs, things moving around, items flying. So they start bringing in people like religious people. So they've done um, exorcisms. They've had people singing like holy songs in there. And one of the things that it said happened was that gloves floated while they were singing songs, like churchy songs, and started mockingly directing the churchy songs. All right. Well, that's just Looney Tunes. Troublesome. Yeah, that's just like, you know, ain't I a stinker? Like, that's pretty fun. And also, like, where were these gloves? I don't know. It's just hard for me to imagine there's just like a pair of gloves somewhere that just, I don't know. By the way, those gloves get half an inch off the ground. The singing stops. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You're not, you're not, you're not being like, come rest ye yeah. merry gentlemen. Yeah, how much, how like, much more singing? I can't believe I'm seeing this. How much more singing was what there for them to. Nothing you despair. Yeah. There can't have been that much more to, to conduct. Now you stop immediately. But things are going on all the time, basically. And they've taken to naming this entity Fred to try to normalize it. Like, oh, Fred did this. Because it's not always sinister. It seems like sometimes it is. Um, but sometimes it's just like stuff. Well, I guess you could say it's all sinister, but like not obviously sinister, okay. like just things moving. They yeah. kind of get used to it. But then weird stuff starts happening and it seems like it is kind of based around Diane, who is the 12 year old daughter. And, you know, they say a lot of poltergeist activity could be kind of like emotional sparks flying from a kid. But the fact that this started, it's not, it, it doesn't always happen or it doesn't only happen when she's around. It's more. Uh, well, it was happening when she wasn't there at all with Phil. Yeah, exactly. So when we talked about poltergeist previously, we talked about how the, it's typically focused around an angsty teenager, primarily females. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, Philip's an angsty tween. And Grandma Sarah's a female. Oh, okay. Perhaps the unified right, energies. Right, right. But now you're saying yeah. that it's this, what's her name? Diane. Diane. Mm hmm. Okay. Um, so it seems to be a little bit more fixated on Diane, which kind of comes into the story a little bit with theories about what's going on here, basically. Um, she is dragged upstairs by the hair one Ooh. time. Like her ponytail or braid is pulled and she, she's pulled upstairs, but then I guess is dropped or something like that. Um, sinister stuff starts happening. Like they had somebody over to sprinkle holy water on the walls. And then like in the end, in, uh, well, yeah, the Enfield haunting, but um, the conjuring too, like crucifixes in the house start being like thrown around when that happens. And it says that upside down crosses appeared on the walls. Okay. Um, so it's starting to get a little scary. And they hadn't seen a physical apparition or anything. Things were just kind of like going on and moving and bangs and stuff like that. Until one night, together, Joe and Jean, um, the parents, said that they saw a black cloaked figure 
over the bed, like looking down at them, that then disappeared. So that could sound like an old haggy sort of thing, but the fact that they both saw the same thing, if you're to believe them, yeah, and yeah, let's yeah. say we believe them, sure. Um, if you're to believe them, the fact that they saw the same thing is like, well, that's something. Yeah. Um, and then after that incident, people did, st- and it could be, um, what's it called? You know, power of suggestion or whatever. But then people there themselves and friends and family who come over and stuff would see an apparition, like just snatches of it, but they felt like they could see like a black something. Cool. So it makes you wonder if something built up that allowed it to be able to materialize in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the other things too, is that like they grow in energy over the course of time. Right. So maybe he was able to kind of like coalesce. Yeah. And then weirdly, not long after that, everything stopped. Everything stopped. All bad stuff, all fine stuff, no apparitions, no nothing. It just stopped. And they were like, huh, okay, all right, fine. So that was in 60s, 70s. And I think the story got around a little bit, at least enough for this guy in the 80s named Tom Cunliffe to write this book called, I just wrote Poltergeist. It might have been Poltergeists, um, either one. But about, I think it's a few different stories of Poltergeists. And he... Um, went into their story and talked about that in the book and did some research into the story. And I found two conflicting accounts of this. So one account I read was that Tom Cunliffe, who wrote that book, was the one to do research and find out or say that their house was built right next to where there had been gallows in the 16th century. Cool. Right. And that there had been a monk hung at those gallows for raping and murdering a young girl. And so because they saw a black hooded figure and because it seemed kind of like it was harassing Diane a little bit more, that led people to say like, oh, so that must have been, it must be that monk. Yeah, yeah. So I've read, I read that he's the one who found that out, but then also only in one source, maybe this one source was wrong. It said that he was the one who found out that story wasn't true. Oh, so I'm not sure. There's right, a story so there's around. Some conflicting. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's the story around, and then there's at least one person who may be him or not who said like, "Yeah, there's actually no record of that. I don't know where that story came from." Okay. Um, and also in one of the pictures, because there are pictures of apparitions in their house, um, and one of the pictures, I don't, I don't see it. Um, well, I mean, I see something. There's like a black shape. They say that in one of the pictures, it could look like a hand holding a rosary, which would support it being a monk. But it, I mean, the, the hand holding something kind of holds to me, I guess you could say. I mean, it kind of looks like that, but it doesn't look like a rosary to me in any way. It just looks like black vapory shape. There's huh. nothing, it looks like a flower or something, like who yeah, knows. Yeah. Um, so the family eventually moved out of there, um, but I think didn't sell it. I think they still owned it, but they didn't actually sell the house Okay. Um, for, you know, who knows, 60s real estate, maybe it wasn't a big deal or something. Sure. So, um, okay, fair enough. So there was a long time where nobody lived there and it seemed like nothing was really going on, basically. Like neighbors didn't notice anything weird or anything like that. And then when that book came out, um, people started like going and checking out the house and stuff because it was like 30 East Drive. Like this is like a big deal. And um, one day their next door neighbor um, saw the former owner of the house. Let me see. I took a picture of this. Okay, so um, I'll just read it. 
uh, oh no, excuse me. It wasn't when the book happened. There's a movie based on this. Um, very loosely, I looked at the trailer. This so this that came out in 2002, and it's called When the Lights Go Out. Um, and so. I'll just read this. So it says, however, as the film about the haunting hit cinemas and public interest in the haunting rose, sparking numerous visitors to the house, locals say the black month of Pontefract is beginning to stir again. Current next door neighbor Carol Fieldhouse said things started to take a sinister turn turn shortly after the film was released. Carol didn't know the former owner, Philip Pritchard, had just sold the... Oh, so it was the son. He owned it forever. Okay. Didn't know the former owner, Philip Pritchard, had just sold the long, empty property to the film's producer, Bill Bungay, (laughs) which I'll get into. (laughs) This next part about selling to the film's producer is almost the sweetest part to me. Okay. Um, Anyway, in a newspaper interview, Carol said she had seen Philip tidying up the front garden. I went out and asked him if he'd sold it to one of his nephews. I thought it must have been one of them because I knew they were deaf and I'd heard the telly blasting out all night. He said, there's no TV in there. It's empty. Then he turned pale and said, God, it's starting again. I haven't seen him since. Wow. That's cool. Very cool. So like I said, it's happening again. I know exactly (laughs) what I must do. Disappear. (laughs) Yeah. Forever. forever. Sell it to the producer of this movie about the house. Billy Bungie. Billy Bungie. (laughs) I could not find much about him. He has produced four movies, all horror movies. I wanted to see if he was a Bill Castle type because from what he's done with this house, he certainly seems like he has the same spirit of scary razzle dazzle that you and I love. Love it. So he bought this house because he, he, you know, produced the movie and everything. And then he said he wanted to find a creative original way to, um, to advertise the movie and have a premiere and everything. And then he found out that the house was for sale, that the very story is based on and very cheap. So he was like, fine, I'll just buy the house. And he held, um, a contest for people to win tickets to go see the movie in the house that it's about. Awesome. So awesome. And um, he said that he um, they put a tiny red carpet down the garden path to get to the house to um, watch the movie about the house. I love that. I love it. And now the house is open to the public for people to spend nights there and stuff to do ghost hunting, freaky stuff. Wow. And what I think is cool and weird about it is that they specify on the website. So if you go to 30 East drive.com, this site is so cool. It is so detailed. There is so much information about both like the house and how you can visit it on there. And also just about the history of the house and the whole thing. It is a sweet, like, very deep site. So um, I enjoy that they didn't even make it like a cute B&B or anything like that. They specify on the website that 30 East Drive Pontefract is not a traditional guest house, hotel, B&B, or party venue. It isn't catered for uh, isn't catered for. You won't be covered by insurance. And frankly, the owner does not recommend that you stay there. Cool. So good. Yeah. Um, if, however, you get a thrill from the idea of staying in this modest ex-council house in the company of one of the most terrifying, if not the most terrifying, poltergeists in the world, then be our guest. Literally, a guest. All you'll need to do is abide by some rules and pay something towards the maintenance of the property. And so the property, they go on to say, is not really well-kept, Okay. Um, it's basically just the original property and has had modest little done to it in 65 years, due in no small way to the sitting tenant. 
So there, um, it says it's a little damp because of the old well Ugh. down which the body of the executed monk and his victims are said to have been thrown that sits directly under the house. Oh, my God. Which uh, That's a detail I hadn't read about anywhere else. Okay. The furniture is 70s authentic. Um, and... Let me see. It's so it's to simulate what it might have looked like when the Pritchards lived there. Sure. As is the overall experience. The temperamental cooker is original and dishwashers didn't exist in the 70s, if you get the drift. <laughs> there are three beds without bedding, so you will have to bring your own bedding or sleeping bags. Think camping. The third bed in the small room, Diane's, was recently trashed by the poltergeist Fred during a 3 a.m. Uh, Fred, Fred. During a 3 a.m. loss of temper, so please bear this in mind when deciding to spend the night in this particular room. The bed has now been fixed. Um, juxtaposed to the cold spirit that resides in number 30, the locals are warm, welcoming, spirited folk. You'll find the experience of meeting them memorable and, we suspect, comforting. So then it has information about, you know, how you sign up and everything. Yeah. Alcohol is not permitted. Um if you want to, protection spells are available. Oh! If you're concerned about your visit, you can have a protection spell performed by you uh, for you by a local medium. The cost is ten pounds per person and is very comforting indeed. <laughs> and then Mrs. B has a little testimonial about that. Perhaps it was the protection spell we received, but we felt safer than we expected during our visit and ended up and ended up having a very good night's sleep. Wow. Um, the property is available. I'm getting too excited. I love this so much. The property is available for filming and other professional events, depending on the project and theoretical physicists can visit for free. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. And then on the main page of it. So if you just straight up go to 30 East drive, the bottom of it has comments from people who have stayed there before about yeah. their stay and um, like what they experienced which are obviously not loading on here. my... Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah, I've got some here. Oh, this is exactly what I was looking for. Okay. Glowing ball of blue light in the corridor, <laughs> seen from the windows several times. On one occasion... <laughs> oh, no. On one occasion, police were called. Circle drawn on back by finger in the middle of the night. This is one of my favorite parts, these comments from people. The jug had filled up to the brim with water on its own. These Look are just quotes from people who were there. That's, that's rad. Mm-hmm. Uh tall shadow of a man walked from the kitchen into the wall said a witness who was a competition winner uh that's rad yeah yeah that's great so that's basically it i i love it i know i do too i mean would you stay in a in a place like this i don't know i don't know I would go to it. I don't think I'd want to do an overnight. I'll tell you this much. I wouldn't want to sleep in a sleeping bag on the floor in there. No. No. I, I would If they had kept it up nicely, mm-hmm. I could see going there. If it was like a B and B or something, like I mean, I actually I really enjoy that they're like, this isn't a B and B, this is anything nice. If it was, I guess I might. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they do a good job of freaking you out because the fact that it is looking like it used to, that it's run down and everything does add to the scariness of it. I think that there's something, it's not really reasonable or logical, but there is something about a nicer place somehow seeming safer, maybe because it's well kept and you know, people are in there doing stuff. I agree. It is cool. I love the idea that like you can go in here and you'll be like, you know, surrounded by this like seventies aesthetic. I, and I apparently a bunch really of spooky awesome. dolls for no other reason than them just being spooky. Well, yeah. you gotta have spooky stuff. <laughs> I know, but it's just funny that everything else they're trying to be seventies authentic. And then I read something that apparently said they're just like creepy dolls everywhere. Hmm. 
Yeah, whatever. I yeah. mean, I, I think it is cool to get to walk through a place that like doesn't really exist anywhere else in the world yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so would you stay there? I wouldn't be bothered by the ghost thing because uh-huh. that's really what I'm asking you. Is like, would it put you off the idea that you're staying in a place that's supposedly super haunted? Yeah, it would bother you. Yeah, I'd be ner- I'd be nervous. I'd be nervous. I don't think it would bother me if it's yeah. gotten this big that there are people that are like they have their testimonials online and stuff. I know. Like, how annoyed is the black monk? He's Maybe trying to he scare people it. away, and he's like, I've been here for no, centuries. No, Maybe he's loving the chance and opportunity to use his energy to Maybe. push that penny, like we've talked about a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Maybe nothing was going on because that house, like they said, was empty for years. So it was like, well, what's the f- there's nobody here. What the hell am I going to do? And now that people are around, maybe he's thrilled to be able to, like, peacock. I can perform. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Man, that's weird. I know. 30 East Drive. Yeah. Pontefract. So cool. Yeah. Hey, people stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Stay there and then report back. I would love to hear about yeah, that. Yeah. We do some field reporting. Oh, my God. If somebody wants to stay oh at this place and do, like, you know, a, a selfie style video. Yeah. Yeah. Explaining what the experience was like. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we could make some room on the show for that. That'd be pretty interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. We could. Yeah. And um, like I said, I, I feel like I have the name wrong. I think it's When the Lights Go Out is the name of the movie. It's from 2012. If you Google Black Monk of Pontefract, you'll be able to find it. But it doesn't look great. Like when I was watching the trailer, I found myself getting bored and it was only a trailer. Yeah, yeah. And um, it had like a pretty low rating, which doesn't always mean anything. Yeah, but yeah. when I watched the trailer... Knowing it had a low rating, I was like, yeah, this doesn't seem Not great. super encouraging. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's awesome. Yeah, totally. That's so cool. I know. All right. So that's it, guys. There you go. Thank you for sitting in with us. We did it again. It I happened know. again. I know. It's uh, happening again. We're at the end of another episode of Guide to the Unknown. That's right. Thank you all for stopping by. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to support our show, there are several yep. ways that you can do that. One of the biggins yes. is by going to patreon.com slash gttupod yep. uh, or just download the Patreon app and look up the show. Yep. Uh, you can give us basically a tip. Yeah, that would be super awesome. If you guys remember the um, episode where we did people's ghost stories that they'd written themselves, um, Andrew, who's one of our patrons, yeah. um, just upped his tip. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. Just to be super nice out of nowhere. It was so it was nice. nice. We've been messing nice. each other, messaging each other on uh, Patreon. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, it was so cool. Thank you, Andrew. You can also give us a review on iTunes. Yes. You can review yes. us on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. evidently. Yeah, uh, yeah, a couple people have done that. Thank you very much. And you can just spread the word yeah. through whatever means that, you know, you are able. Right. Tell your friends if you're in other spooky groups and people are asking for suggestions about paranormal or crazy, crazy, I meant scary podcasts, you could tell them about our show. That yep. would rule. Uh, you could even embroider yeah, you know, yes. severed heads yes. on Instagram. Any creative expression you guys want to have that is inspired by or pertinent to the show, even not inspired by, if it has something to do with creepy stuff i would love to see it so just message it to us or tag us in it or whatever absolutely so I just love this stuff. yeah make yeah. sure you let us know you did it yeah i for sure want to see it yeah uh and to that end you can follow us on all social media where we are at gttu pod mm-hmm. Kristen posts amazing stories yep. every week every yep. day yep uh so make sure that you follow that account yeah spooky links and stuff that i find on the net yep we record Guide to the Unknown every week live on Facebook, mm-hmm. facebook.com slash gttupod. Uh, so if you want to get the show a couple days early, show up for a live recording. You can yeah. jump in the chat, talk to other listeners and viewers. Mm-hmm. It's always a good time. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, we're also available online separately mm-hmm. uh, through our own accounts. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen on Instagram. I'm at Haunted Sponge. Mm-hmm. So we will see you next week for another brand new episode of Guide to the Unknown. But until then, our time with you has concluded for this week. That's right. And so, now we travel. Back to the netherworlds go we. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.